Hey everyone, welcome to City Church OTR's Sermons Podcast. Here you will find all of the sermons and teachings that are given at our Sunday services. We also have our original City Church OTR podcast, which has more conversations, interviews, and more interactive content. As always, we would love to meet you. Check out our Instagram to see what we're doing this week and our website, citychurchotr.com, to meet one of our pastors. Enjoy. be on a pivot. Let's do this a bunch. Um, all right, so can we throw up a first slide? Like Chris said, my name is Wilson, and you know, he just mentioned we're going to start a series next week, and I'll preach in it twice. He'll preach in it a bunch. I think there's another guest speaker. So this morning, I'm just doing a kind of one-off message for you guys called Love and Fear. And here's the subtitle, The Love of God and the Fear of the Lord. Now, before uh, you like boo me out of here for mentioning the fear of the Lord, I want to show you a beautiful picture, okay? Can you switch? Look at that. All right, so here's the best thing about me. Just, just to pause my message for a second and tell you just a tiny bit about myself. This is my wife, Jen, our uh, two-year-old son, Silas, and our daughter, Haya. And uh, my wife is actually pregnant, so we're expecting our third child here in October. So hopefully I actually come and preach in October, Chris, but... Um, um, yeah, like, I'm going to be here for a couple weeks, and so I wanted to connect with you guys heart to heart, let you know just a little bit about me before I share my message with you. Just, I'm going to do the most embarrassing thing ever, but who is it that this is your first time visiting? Is this anyone's first time? Come on, awesome. So who's been here for the whole time this church has been going? Just show me, just so I can kind of know who I'm talking to. All right. And then who's been here since, uh, like, last six or seven months? coming. Awesome, cool. So there's a good spectrum of people. Um, but yeah, I want to connect with you guys. I want to, you to know a tiny bit about me um, and really value relationships. So let me, I, I was just trying to think this morning, what are like two or three good stories about my family for you to hear? And the first one is the most embarrassing for me, so I thought I'd start there. So my wife and I met in middle school. We both grew up in Cincinnati, and uh, she went to Winton Woods, and I went to Colerain, two, two schools up north of here. And we met in middle school in uh, church together, in youth group. And I tried to take her on a date, but her dad didn't let me. And then fast forward about 15 years, and we both find ourselves going to UC at the same time. So we're going to, uh, both going to UC, and I didn't even, we, I didn't know she was there. She didn't know I was there. And I'm walking to class one day, and I hear someone yell, hey, Will. And I turn around, and it's Jen right there. And she said, dude, this is so crazy, but I just woke up from a dream that I saw you on campus. And I was like, so I'm the man of your dreams, basically, is what you're <laughs> trying to tell me. No. Um, I was actually dating someone else, and she was kind of getting over somebody. And so we just like struck up this friendship, and we became really good friends. And uh, through a series of events, us and a couple other friends started this Bible study, and um, we're having a really good time, seeing a lot of people come to know Jesus through this Bible study, and I uh, just started to see, like, you know, I think she's pretty hot, you know, like, it doesn't take much to see that, though, right? Like, you see that picture, she's pretty hot, um, and so there was a little bit, you know, like, sexual tension between us. We're always flirting and stuff, and one time we're at a friend's house uh, swimming, and so, you know, I am just in my swimming suit, and she's in a bikini, and I was like, Jen, come on. Like, that's just context for you to understand how embarrassing the next part of the story is, right? 
I didn't just mention the half nudity for the sake of it. So I'm just like, Jen, come on, should we just date? And she goes, Will, I will never, ever, ever, ever date you. (laughs) And I'm like half naked when she says that. So it like hit even deeper, you know. Um, Well, fast forward about a year later and I'm... And I tried again, she said yes, and then six months later, we got married. So, so that's, there's one story about me, okay? And again, I'm just trying to connect with you guys. Here's a second story. So we uh, got married, we still had a year of college left. We're going to UC. I, I graduated from UC at the end of, uh, in 2015 with a degree in international affairs and Arabic. Um, and she graduated a year later with a little liberal arts degree. So we finished our uh, for, we did our first year of marriage as I was finish, finishing my first year of college. And then in her, our second year of marriage, she got pregnant. And we were kind of like caught off guard by that because she's still in school. Well, so 2016, May 4th, 2016, we end up having a miscarriage. And so we're just totally devastated. I'm a, I'm a pastor, like Chris said, so I like told the whole church about it. That, that we were pregnant and then we have a miscarriage and we're trying to figure out how to navigate all this and just a really heartbreaking season in our life. Well, fast forward one year from that day, May 4th, 2016, and on May 4th, 2017, our daughter Hale was born. So one year to the day that we had like the greatest loss in our life, um, God redeemed it and we had an amazing, amazing gift. So just like anecdotally, I just want to tell you that God is really in the business of redemption. Anyone in this room who has suffered loss, God is in the business of redeeming that loss. Um, The whole nature of the gospel message is one of redemption. So let let me just pray that for you really quick. Just if that, if there's something in your life where you're feeling, man, I need God's redemption. I'm waiting to see a conclusion. I'm waiting to see God's um, mercy here. I just want to pray for you, all right? So Lord, I thank you for this room of people. And right now I just release hope. I release hope to any heart that is let down, just with Emery's prayer that you reign above it all, Jesus. So I release your hope over the room right now for places of heartbreak, disappointment, and impossibilities. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so there's a little bit about me. Turn with me to Proverbs and just like kind of put your thumb in there. Or scroll to Proverbs chapter 9. So you can go back to my title slide, Matt. The title of my message, Love and Fear. And then really what you want to hone in on is the byline, the love of God and the fear of the Lord. This um, idea, the fear of the Lord, is actually pretty, uh, we, we all know that the love of God is all over scripture, right? Like, um, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. Um, and just over and over and over in scripture, we were, we're drawn to the fact and it's revealed that God is gracious and loving and merciful. But there's this other concept in the Bible called the fear of the Lord that I think gets a lot less, um, probably like attention, a lot less Airwaves, I know for me, it wasn't something that I uh, really understood or that I really wanted to like embrace. Or I'm not like walking around like, hey, the fear of the Lord, this is awesome, guys, you know? I don't think you guys can relate to that. It's even been a little bit of like a mystifying thing to me. 
Well, this spring, um, or actually this summer, I was contemplating this idea of the fear of the Lord. And every Tuesday morning, the staff at my church gets together and we worship and we pray together. And uh, we're in this time of worship and prayer. Um, it's just kind of like a open space where there's not like, it doesn't feel like there's a real strong like pl program plan going on, but you can kind of like do a devotion, read, journal, whatever. And so I'm sitting against the wall just praying and this thought came into my head. Do you guys ever have a thought come into your head? It's like you're thinking in this direction, all of a sudden a thought comes like this way. I like to call that an intersecting thought. Lots of times that's God speaking to us. When we're, we're thinking one direction, all of a sudden another thought comes in. So I'm not like thinking about this idea of the fear of the Lord. And all of a sudden I just felt this impression. I felt like God said something to me. And what I feel like he said was this, Wilson, you'll never understand how to fear me until you first receive my love. You'll never understand what I mean when I say fear me unless you first receive my love. So like how I wrote it for you guys, or how I wrote it now is you can't fear me how I want you to unless you've received my love how I want you to. So this is kind of like the linchpin idea in my message this morning, all right? 27 times in the Bible is that, is that phrase, the fear of the Lord. And it doesn't go away after Jesus. It's not like that's an Old Testament thing, fear God in the Old Testament. Now in the New Testament, I don't fear him anymore. Um, so it's something to like really understand and explore. But what I want to propose to you is until we receive God's love, we're going to look at the fear of the Lord in a worldly way. We're going to look at the fear of the world in a horror movie type way or in a fear like I'm scared type of way. I just want to tell you that is not what the fear of the Lord is about, okay? Let's just get that out of there. That the fear of the Lord is not about terror or nervousness. And I'm, all, I'm kind of right now preaching the end of my message, so I'm going to stop that. And uh, let's go to Proverbs 9, 10 and 11, okay? Before we unpack this idea, you know, um, like, because God spoke that to me, but is it biblical would be a good question to ask. God said that to me. You can't fear me how I want you to unless you receive my love how you want to. But we should probably investigate that and test it with scripture, right? Um, and that's how we know if it's something to really pay attention to and something of weight. So let's, let's go to Proverbs 9 to start diving into this idea of the fear of the Lord. So Proverbs 9, 10, and 11 says this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me, your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. All right, so there's really good news in this passage. And, and the good news is this. I see a lot of wise people in this room. Like when I look out this room, honestly, I just see people who have wisdom. First of all, you're here to worship Jesus, so that's wisdom. You know what that means? You already are walking in and understanding in some degree the fear of the Lord. Because what does it say is the beginning of wisdom? The fear of the Lord. Knowledge of the Holy One is insight. And actually, go back for a second to wisdom. Wisdom isn't, you can't simplify wisdom to just um, God's thoughts, or just to what, what God is saying. I wish it was that simple, but in the book of James, 
there's this idea talked about that there is a wisdom from above, wisdom that comes from God, but then there's also other types of wisdom that we experience here on earth. He, it's this, it's uh, not necessarily a categorical list that James is making in chapter three of the book of James, but what he says is that's the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, but there's also a wisdom from below saying that there's things that you'll hear that sound really good here on earth and that are actually coming from earth. They might be coming from people's feelings. They might be coming from pure logic and, or they might be coming even from um, darkness, from the demonic, from the spiritual realm of darkness. But what we don't want to get wrapped up in that type of wisdom, right? <laughs> Who reads something on Facebook and you're like, man, that makes a lot of sense. Or who hears someone say something and you're like, that just, how can you deny that? That just is like, how could you say that's not true? Well, I just want to propose to you that just because it sounds true and it's hard to deny doesn't necessarily mean that it's wisdom from above. Because wisdom from above starts with the fear of the Lord. The second statement, knowledge of the Holy One. So right there, if you want true wisdom, we have to understand the fear of the Lord. Who wants true wisdom? Come on. Then this idea of the fear of the Lord, it's something that we have to say in our hearts. I might not get it, but I want it. I might not understand exactly what this concept is, but I want true wisdom, so I want to embrace the fear of the Lord. Now this, uh, next, this next statement, knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So I just want to propose to you that if you want insight to know God, you're probably not going to ever be satisfied. If there's this burning question on your heart and you just need an answer for it and able to, in order to have peace with God, it's going to be really hard, albeit impossible, for you ever to have peace with God. Because it's not our understanding of things that gives us peace with God. It's Jesus' death and resurrection and then our embracing that that gives us peace with God. So we get this backwards a lot. A lot of times we want insight in order to know God. We want an answer in order to know him better. When God's saying, no, focus on me, know me, and then I will give you insight. I will give you answers when you pursue me first. Lastly, for by me, your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. Days will be multiplied, days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. You know that this is like the one thing that no amount of money can get you. <laughs> No amount of success, no amount of um, resources can't get you uh, days being multiplied, years being added to your life. But all, all of this is tied into the idea of the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the basis for having wisdom, for knowing God, for having insight, for having our years multiplied for having days added to our life. What I'm trying to get at here is um, the fear of the Lord is something to be desired. Maybe it's been like kind of neglected in your head or in my head, or it's not been something we've been excited about. But the truth is when you take out any emotion or you take out any baggage and you just look at this idea of the fear of the Lord, it's actually incredibly appealing. <laughs> Wisdom, years being added to your life, insight. So I think it's fair to conclude from Proverbs 9, 10, and 11 that fearing the Lord is desirable and beneficial. 
But if we're being honest, it's not something we've always focused on. Who else can just be honest about that? Like, it's not been something you're like, oh man, I want to know about this all the time. Which leads me to believe that we've had an incorrect understanding of it. And so, whenever we start to realize that there's something the Bible says is good that we're kind of turned off to, what we need to do is deconstruct our understanding and our perception of that thing and then reconstruct it upon a biblical foundation. And that's where I want to that's what that's where I want to keep going. So turn to Isaiah now. Isaiah chapter 11. All right, Isaiah 11.1. We're on this quest here. Actually, just put your thumb there really quick. I'm gonna turn to Acts really fast. And there's no slide for this. You can just listen to it if you want. Acts 9.31 if you wanna turn there. Listen to this verse. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. How many of you guys want what's happening at City Church to multiply around Cincinnati? How many of you want the life and freedom and um, the, the blessing that's coming to your life through this place to be shared with others? Right, that's what we all want. We want the kingdom to advance. Well, look at this, this, this last statement that's made around the church multiplying and growing and prospering. What was the church doing? It was walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. The fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. You see, the fear of the Lord will drive you to do things that the fear of man will prevent you from doing. When you fear God, you don't fear man. It's kind of like this constant question and tension we have of, am I gonna base my decisions in my life around what other people think? Or am I gonna base it around what God thinks and what God says? And that's going to lead you into positions that are uncomfortable, where you know what you need? The comfort of the Holy Spirit. So, as, so again, we want the fear of the Lord. Isaiah 11, chapter 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Come on, you knew it was gonna be in there. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. All right, so let's just break this passage down really quick. Um, 11.1, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Who reads that and is just like, whatever. <laughs> a shoot and a stump? Let's just go to the next verse that makes more sense, right? That's kind of like our normal way of reading scripture. Well, guess what? This book wasn't written to Americans or to modern people. You know, it, this, did you know the Bible wasn't written to you? It was written for you, but it wasn't written to you. This book was written to ancient Israelites, to ancient Jews, people who lived a long time ago in a totally different culture, had totally different preloaded ideas and concepts. So anytime you're reading scripture and you're like, I don't understand that, probably 
it's because there's a cultural illusion, a cultural reference, a cultural piece of context that the original readers would have been triggered by, and they would have had all these thoughts come up into their head. So in, in the verse, first verse, that's what's happening. Thou shall come, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Who's Jesse? Jesse is the father of King David, who is the best king of the nation of Israel, who is the people that this book was written to. Um, Isaiah is writing to these people who have been conquered and taken out of their land and put into exile in another country far, far away, into Babylon. And he's telling them, hey, I know you feel um, totally hopeless right now, but guess what? King David, he has an ancestor that's coming. There's an ancestor from King David that's going to emerge. And then, and then here's, here's how you're supposed to recognize him, verse 2. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge. All that is amazing, right? Anyone that walked in here this morning would have been like, hey, we're giving out um, God's spirit. Who wants some? Most of us have been like, yep, sign me up. I'll bring a bucket. Uh, the spirit of wisdom and understanding. Yes, yes, both counts. Give me that. Um, counsel and might. Yeah, I want to know what to do and be really strong. And then knowledge, yes. But then it feels like a kind of like disconnect right at the end and the fear of the Lord. And then verse three, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge but what his eyes see or decide disputes but what his ears hear. So going back to verse two, there's this list that's supposed to highlight to us what a what, a, um, what the Messiah, what the, the king that um, is going to be sent to take them out of exile, what he's going to be like. These are all these indicators, this list of what we're supposed to recognize in him. And then the capstone statement is the fear of the Lord. So one of the ways that Jesus was recognized was because it was evident that he walked in the fear of the Lord. What that means is that us as believers, one of the ways that we should be recognized is our fear of the Lord. People should see us and say, wow, they live in this reverence of something greater than them. That must be a Christian. Verse three, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. So again, this is like a clue. This should be an indicator to us that the fear of the Lord might be something that we've misunderstood. If, if, someone is able to delight in something, how many of you know it's a good thing? Like, if you delight in something, that means it has a positive impact on your life. So the fear of the Lord isn't something that we should be pulling away from, but it's something we should be leaning into. And then lastly, and this is my last thing I'm gonna say about the fear of the Lord before we start talking about the love of God, he shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. You know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of wisdom from earth. Wisdom from earth is mostly based off of what we can see and perceive, what makes sense to our eyes. But you know it says that God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. So we can't always, by what we see and hear, determine what is right and wrong. The only way that we can really determine right and wrong is by having the fear of the Lord and recognizing that there's a standard of right and wrong one layer above us. 
that we need to reference and understand to see truth, to see it's, it's huge for morality. Okay, so remember what the Holy Spirit said to me? You can't fear me how I want you to unless you first received my love how I want you to. Turn with me to 1 John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, 1 John. That's the order of the New Testament. 1 John 4. So, um, this, is, this is a follower of Jesus named John who was so close to Jesus. He, he lived at the same time as Jesus, walked the earth at the same time as Jesus, followed Jesus all around. And he was so close to Jesus that he was willing to kind of claim this title of the beloved one. So he is like that confident and secure in his relationship with Jesus that out of all the 12 disciples that followed Jesus, he's like, hey, I'm the one that Jesus loved the most. So this guy, uh, you know, he's pretty confident about his standing with God. And he's writing a letter to an early group of churches. And these early group of churches were um, being taught this thing that we now called Gnosticism. And what Gnosticism is, is it says that the physical material world is inherently bad and evil. And the spiritual world is what's good and to be desired. And what this, this teaching of Gnosticism um, propagated was that Jesus didn't even really come in the actual flesh. He didn't come and actually take on human skin and bones, but he was just kind of translucent guy that looked like you could tell he was there really, but he really wasn't. And um, this is you know, totally contrary because we see that God created the earth. He created a material world. He's the creator of a, of a, of a world that we can taste, touch, and feel, and see. And the fact that Jesus came in the flesh is actually of utmost critical importance to our faith because Jesus actually died <laughs> That's how we got reconciled to God. And then he actually came back from the dead. And that's how we get welcomed into having a new life. His death and resurrection um, hinges on the fact that he was a real living human. And so, it, so John is just like writing. He's going in to this church like, look, I got to straighten you guys out. And you got to understand really um, that Jesus really did come. And he starts to teach them about love. And so that's where we're picking up. 1 John 4, 10. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So the very substance of love is not that we loved God. How many of you guys love loving God? I love loving God. And you know what? I love it so much that sometimes I focus on that even more than the fact that he loves me. <laughs> That's kind of like, our, that's like the way the humans work, right? It's like, what can I do? Not what can I take for free? What can I receive? We're suspicious when we get offered something for free, you know? Like that lunch Chris talked about, that free lunch. We're like, yeah, I might come, but also what are they going to try and get me to do at this church if I come to that? <laughs> but man, that is, that's the value system of the world. We live in the, if you're a believer, you live in the upside down kingdom where it's always God goes first. So the very substance of love is not us toward God, but it's God towards us. 
I've struggled with this. This has like been a major struggle for me my whole life is what can I do for God and not slow down and stop and just received love from him. For so long, I believed this lie. I had this lie that I'd rehearse all the time. And I didn't know it. And it went something like this. Um, God will encounter me. God, I'll experience God. I'll know God's love if. And there was always this, this kind of like weight on the end of it of what, what's the right thing I do? What's the right passage of scripture I read? What's the right time of morning to get up? Or what's the right thing for me to think? But how many of you guys uh, were asking God to send Jesus to earth? He decided to do that. God said, hey, I'm the initiator in this relationship. I'm coming to you. So this is the substance of love, God towards us. Um, now, 1 John 4, 16. Actually, let me just back up for one second. I think there's a reason that we need to hear this message over and over and over, that it's about God towards us and not us towards God. Are you following me when I say that? It's about God's love towards us, his initiation of relationship from him to us, not about us towards him. That factors in. There's a Christian author named Dallas Willard, and he said this, grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. Grace is opposed to earning God's love, not um, effort. And one of the reasons I think that this is so, such a key revelation, such a key um, piece of wisdom from God that we get and we hang on to is because in the Garden of Eden, this was kind of like distorted for humans. In the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve were first created, and they, they meet God, how many of you know that they weren't experiencing the fear of the Lord? They were experiencing the love of God. They were seeing, whoa, there's this being of pure light that just loves me and is, just loves me. I can't believe it. But what we all know what happens. Adam and Eve sin, and they get kicked out of the garden. And I just want to propose to you that they, when they get kicked out of the garden, they interpret God's discipline as rejection, when in reality, God's discipline in that moment was protection. They thought God's rejecting us. Think about it. God sends them out of the garden. And what's the message that they receive in their fallen, broken state? I have to do certain things for God to love me. They interpret God protecting them as God rejecting them. So how many of you guys know, like, how many of you guys know an unbeliever that thinks God loves them? That's not very common, right? It's more like, well, God's mad at me and I'm not good enough for God and all this stuff. That's because that's the kind of wound that's just on the, on the heart of humanity is I was rejected by God. I was sent out by God. When in truth, God was protecting them. So I think for us over and over and over, we need to return to this message and we need to be sharing it with other people too that, hey, God loves you because he loves you because he loves you, not because it's something you do. 1 John 4, 16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So this is a pretty powerful definitive statement. God is love. There's not many passages in scripture that say God is something. <laughs> so if you want to know God better, you got to know love. You, you, the way to know love better is to know God better. We can't understand love apart from God. 
The, the last two phrases in this um, statement never cease to rock me. Whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. I'm comfortable with the idea that I'm in God. That is like intuitive. That makes sense to me that I'm in him, you know? But that he would be in me, that's mind-blowing. I, yeah, of course, abide. Yeah, man, we got to abide in God, be in God. Oh, uh, yeah, great. Did you know that God abides in you? Do you know that God likes you so much that you are so well put together, you are so fixed and new through Jesus that God abides in you? You guys, who, who was here when Peter Lewis preached a couple weeks ago? Four of you, cool. Um, this is a really new room of people, awesome. I'm gonna do an altar call and all you guys are gonna get saved. This is great. Uh, man, just, I can't remember why I was gonna bring Peter Lewis up, but... God abides in us. His love is in us. So from all all of this, what is not fearing God? Let's define what fearing God is not. First thing I want to say is it's not feeling unsafe around him. That can't be and that isn't what the fear of the Lord means. That's not what it means to fear God, is feeling unsafe or nervous around him. Has anybody ever seen Chronicles of Narnia? I'm going to reveal my Christian homeschoolness right now. You know, there's that saying in Chronicles of Narnia, he's a tame lion, but he's not safe. It's like, oh, that sounds so good. But I just want to tell you, no, God is safe. (laughs) He is trustworthy. He's not predictable. He's not uh, most concerned with your safety, but he is safe to be around. Secondly, Fearing God has nothing to do with being scared he is going to punish you. That's not what fearing God is about. Um, Let's read one more verse. Do you have one more verse in you? There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So what this must be meaning is that there is no worldly fear in God's love, that when we have a full revelation, a full understanding of what, how God feels towards us, we're not going to be drawn, we're not going to pull away from him, but we're going to come towards him. And when is it that you'll pull away from people? When you're scared, they're going to punish you. And so what John is trying to tell me here is, look, when you sin, when you mess up, God is the person to go to. He's a safe person to go to because you know that punishment is all about justice But discipline is about our development, our maturity, and our growth. God isn't needing to punish us for our sins. Jesus fully paid for sin. So when we come to God, when we come and say, hey, I've messed up, I need help. When we come to the Lord, we confess to him. We don't need to be scared of punishment. We don't need to have a type of fear in us. It's like, well, if I bring this to him, will um, something bad happen to me as a result? Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So if you fear God more than you love him, you don't actually understand his love to begin with because it's not a perfected, mature love. So what is the fear of the Lord? Here's a couple couple bullet points for what the fear of the Lord is. Holding him in reverence and awe. It's the recognition that God defines good and evil, not me. 
And then it's a heart posture of humility towards God. I play softball, and you can lead this slide up. I play slow pitch softball with a bunch of guys, um, some from my church and some just kind of connected. And I, uh, I'm the, I was the pitcher on our softball team. Has anyone here ever played slow pitch softball before? All right. So if you know, if you've if you played slow pitch softball, then as soon as you heard me say that I'm the pitcher, you thought like, okay, like, uh, does he wear a mask? Does he, you know, like cover himself up at all? Because frequently at, at slow pitch softball games, you see the, the, the pitcher wearing a mask because he's just standing like, you know, not that far away. And then he's saying, hey, please hit this ball and just lobbing it. Just, it's like the whole intention of slow pitch softball is for them to hit it, okay? And I just thought, I'm sweet. I'm going to be the pitcher. This is awesome. I love to be in the action. I'll get bored otherwise. And uh, I'd pitch and I wouldn't back up really quick. And that's what everyone told me to do. Was like, hey, after you pitch, make sure you like scoot back really quick because they're going to hit the ball back at you really hard. And I was like, no, I'm going to play defense, you know, after I pitch it. You can probably tell where this story is going. Well, last year, last fall, I got hit by a line drive in the stomach. Just like no time to react or anything. It was just like, blah, and I hit the ground. And I picked the ball up and I threw him out. And then an ambulance came. And uh, I want to tell you that after that softball game, I had a reverence and awe for what it meant to be the pitcher. <laughs> I understood the dynamic in a way I hadn't before about um, that that ball does what it wants. I am not in control of that ball. <laughs> this is kind of like the point of reverence and awe. I don't get to decide what God is like. I just go like this, whatever you're like. <laughs> Whatever, that's what you're like, whatever you say, okay? I don't dictate what God is like. I was just in um, the United Arab Emirates, and that's a country right next to Saudi Arabia with my friend Aaron down here. And we were getting to train a bunch of different Pakistani um, pastors that are leading all these Muslims and Hindus to the Lord in uh, Dubai. And there was a, a guy who was a Hindu that we were hanging out with, and uh, he just had all these questions about Jesus, we read a story um, in Luke about Jesus forgiving this prostitute of her sins. And uh, Umesh, the Indian guy, this really awesome, bright dude. You can go to the next picture. You'll see the picture of him. This is Umesh. Um, he's just asking all these questions about the passage. And you can tell that, like, these aren't questions coming from the wisdom of man. <laughs> you know, like, God is speaking to him. And he's having insight into scripture. Like, it was so beautiful. And then he starts to ask us, like, why did Jesus come to earth? Uh, why, did, why do you guys believe Jesus had to die? Like, and he's asking all these questions, like, come on, bro, these are like the money questions. And I'm just thinking, like, this dude, uh, God is really working in his life right now. He's asking all these questions, and, you know, um, some of them are like about what doesn't make sense about God in the Bible to him, what doesn't make sense about Christianity. And then he says, hey, but here's what I want to know. If God is really real, can you feel him? Can I experience him? Like, is he actually real enough that I could feel him? And we're like, bro, we are so glad you asked that. Because yes, <laughs> yes, you can feel him. So he says, well, how, what do we do? How do we do it? <laughs> we're like, just close your eyes. We'll pray for you. So he closes his eyes. We come over, Aaron and I just lay a hand on his shoulder. And um, we just pray simple prayers. Just said, Holy Spirit, you love Umesh, 
You are real. Will you show him how real you are right now? Just reveal yourself to him. And then we were just quiet. And then like a minute passed and we prayed another thing. And then another minute passed and we said amen. So it was just this quiet, serene moment. And I said amen and he kept his eyes closed. I was just like, all right, what's up? Don't open your eyes, you know? And he keeps his eyes closed. And then he slowly opens them and he just goes, whoa, what just happened? It felt like there was no one in the room. It felt like all of you guys left, but there was someone else in the room with me. I'm like, I bet that was Jesus. And he's like, and I had all these questions in my head. You know, all the questions I was asking you, all of them are gone. I can't remember the questions I was asking you. Um, you know, but, and then the next day he comes over and he'd had a dream of Jesus and he's like asking us questions about baptism. A couple days later he gets baptized. But what happened in that moment was Umesh had an experience with the reality that God is real. There was a reverence and an awe that entered the situation after he experienced God. And I just want to tell you that that's a dynamic of the fear of the Lord. It's, whoa, this is real. This is real. So just to conclude, I'm kind of like crash landing right now. Um, to walk in the fear of the Lord, we need to reject irrational terror or nervousness of God. We need to reject an idea that he's going to punish us or that he doesn't want what's best for us. And what we need to do is embrace First, what we need to do is reject that. And then the second thing we need to do is embrace his love. Even before we embrace this idea of fearing him, we need to embrace the fact that he loves us. And then after that, we can start to walk in a healthy fear, a healthy reverence and awe of God. As we get ready to sing one more song of worship, will you guys just stand up with me? I want to pray for you as we about the message and as we go into worship, the band's gonna come down and get set up. Um, I just wanna try something out. This might be kind of weird to you, but go with it or don't, it doesn't matter. Just close your eyes and put your hand on your head. Everyone has their eyes closed. So they won't see you do it if you do it. Now just say this out loud. Say, God, I reject any wrong understanding I have of fearing you. I reject it. Now say that again like you mean it. Say it for yourself. I reject it. Now put your hand on your heart. Just say, God, I want to know your love. I want to know your love. Now just keep your hand there. I want to pray for you really quick. Holy Spirit, I welcome you to um, testify and to witness to your love inside of all my friends right now. I pray for your love to rise to the surface right now. Let your love bubble up. And Lord, for anyone in the room who doesn't know you, who's not a follower of you, who's maybe interested in you, but um, hasn't ever committed their life to serving you and following you, I pray that your love would really be experienced by them right now. More, Lord. More of your love right now. 
Now let's just do one more little Simon Says motion. Put both hands up in the air. This is what the fear of the Lord looks like. It looks like worship and centering our life around something. So God, we just say we want to walk in the fear of the Lord. We submit our hearts to walking in reverence and awe of you, King of kings, Lord of lords. We will base everything around you, Jesus. We will base all of our decisions around you. We'll base our relationships around you. We'll base our pursuits and our dreams around you. And I thank you right now, the Holy Spirit's empowering people. The Holy Spirit's filling you right now as you walk out this form of life to be empowered with his gifts, his power, his spirit, his might. More, Lord. More, more in Jesus' name. Empower us, Lord, to walk in your power, not our own. 